Do you realize that, that life is a journey and we're all in this journey together? And, and I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you feel stuck in your journey? You ever feel like you've hit a wall? Like, like you're not making any progress? You're, you're not really connected to God or to others the way you want to? Maybe the good feelings that you had about God and Jesus and the church aren't there anymore. And your, your prayers just seem to, to bounce off the ceiling. Maybe, maybe you're sad. Maybe you're even angry. It, it, you feel like a, a darkness has descended upon your soul and you cannot find the light. Well, why is that? What, what's, what's happening to you at that time? Well, what can you do? How can you get unstuck? What I want you to realize today is that life is a journey and sometimes we get stuck. And, and getting stuck is normal. We all get stuck. There are reasons why we get stuck on this journey and there are ways to get unstuck. And so I want us to talk about this this morning. Life is a journey and sometimes we get stuck. And how do we get unstuck? So turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians 5. We're in this series called Experiencing God experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, walking in the Spirit. And today, we've been unpacking each of the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Today, we come to goodness. We're talking about goodness today. God is good. Amen? All the time, God is good. Some of you know that. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. It's kind of a cliche in Christian circles, but it's true. Psalm 118, the, the scripture is full of these kinds of verses. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Jesus told the young man in Mark chapter 10, no one is good except God alone. No one. Wow. Let's read Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't, don't you want to be free? I want to be free. I want to be free from anxiety. I want to be free from all that, you know, just encumbers me. I just want to live freely. Hey, just be free. I think you do too. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Notice again the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and, and the updated NIV says forbearance. Most translations say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today we're talking about goodness. And what I want you to realize today is that life is a journey and that we all get stuck at some point. The Christian life is a journey. You, you look through the scriptures and you, you see that experiencing God and following God, the life of a believer is a journey. You go all the way back to Abraham in the Old Testament. God called Abraham to leave his past life in Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Iraq, and go all the way to the promised land, to Israel. He took him on this journey. And my goodness, you can read about his life, what a journey it was. God called Moses from a burning bush to lead Israel through the desert for 40 years. God called David to leave the comforts of, of being a shepherd boy to go and kill Goliath and, and eventually become the king of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. You can read about their journeys, how they literally followed Jesus around Israel. And you can read about their journeys in what we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And you know what? God is calling you and me today to follow him and to be on this journey with him. You see, the good news is, is that there's a good and beautiful God who created us to be in relationship with him to know Him, to love Him. And even though we live in this world that was created good and beautiful, but now it's broken and fallen and messed up, and so are we, the good news is, is that through Jesus Christ, God is reaching out to us and He's reconciling us back to Himself and He is inviting you and me to follow Him on this journey. We're on a journey where we're following Jesus. We can know Him. We can experience Him. We can love Him. And be on this journey together. And, and what I want you to realize is that on this journey, it's normal to get stuck. We, we all get stuck. This journey through life has all kinds of ups and downs, twists and turns, surprises. And many times we go, whoa, didn't see that coming. And every follower of Jesus will at some point confront the wall. Some have called it the dark night of the soul. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? Those of us who are believers, when we first came to Christ, you had this life-changing awareness of God. You go, wow, there really is a God. And you just know that you know that you know. You don't have to go to apologetics or arguments or debates or anything. You just know and God's word comes alive and his spirit comes alive in you. And you go, I know there's a God. He's a good and beautiful God and he loves me and, and your, my sins are forgiven and you feel so good and free and alive. Maybe you even took discipleship seriously and you started reading the Bible and going to classes and you were learning and growing. Maybe you even served in ministry and you started giving and, and giving financially and giving of your time and you felt good and you did all of that happily because God is good. And, and you feel like he's doing such good things in your life and you were so grateful and thankful. And then 
somewhere along your journey, something happens. Maybe it's a crisis that turns your world upside down. Maybe it's your marriage is just so stressed and on the verge of divorce, or maybe you actually end up getting divorced and it just shatters you. Or you lose that job and it devastates you. Maybe it's the death of a loved one or that diagnosis of cancer. Maybe it's a disillusioning church experience and you realize, you know what, not all Christians are all that good. And it's so disappointing to you. Maybe it's a struggle that keeps defeating you, an addiction, a struggle, whatever, and you realize, wow, I'm not that good. And whatever it is, you experience this dryness, this frustration, this loss of, of joy. You're not experiencing God anymore, and he doesn't seem to be so good anymore. And you wonder why your faith isn't working. What is this about? Why are you experiencing this? Can I tell you something? This is normal. You're not alone. We all go through this. Even pastors. We all hit the wall at least once in our spiritual journey. We all have this dark night of the soul at least once in our spiritual journey. Sometimes more. And, and you ask, why does this happen? If God is so good and he promises to do such good things in my life, then why? Here's why. This is God's way of taking you and me deeper in our journey with him. He wants to cut away, prune from us all that is not good. And he wants us to see that any goodness we have and any goodness that's in our lives is His goodness. And you and I are completely dependent on Him. It's God's way of pruning us. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. God wants it to be His goodness, the fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to realize that He loves us so much and so oftentimes in our lives, we're trying to just look good. When, when, and, and we start to even think we are good. And we become self-righteous and self-dependent. And, and God wants us to deal with that and prune that away. Have you, have you ever thought you were good at something? And then somewhere along the way, you discovered you were not that good? I played a lot of baseball growing up back in western Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and, and I was pretty good. And, and it's okay to giggle. Yes, it's okay. Loosen up out there. And, and, and our team was really good, and we played in Teener League, and, and we took second in the state of, of Pennsylvania, our little town. We were beating teams from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and, and, and we took, ended up taking second in the state of Pennsylvania. And my one friend, John Mizrock, you can Google him and find out all about him. John Mizrock, we called him Sarge. He was recruited right out of high school, and he played in the major leagues for a couple of years. He was, a, he was a catcher for the Houston Astros, and he actually caught off of the legendary Nolan Ryan. I mean, he was up at the big time. And so, so I was good, but, but Sarge was great. I mean, he, he was big time. But you know what? Sarge didn't stay in the majors very long. You know why? 
He was a good catcher. They said he was one of the best catchers in the league at the time. He could, he could, as a catcher, sit there behind home plate on his knees. The pitcher deliver the ball. He could throw it down to second base. Had a, had one of the fastest release times. That's one of the things they do. They 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 time that release time. By the time it hits your mitt, how quickly can you deliver it to second base to throw that runner out? He was really really good at that. But you know why he didn't stay in the majors for very long? His batting was not very good. His batting was poor. And I remember when I first heard that, I thought, what? He is the best batter to ever come through, little Punxsutawney. He was much better than the rest of us. He was the home run hitter. He had the best batting average. He, he was, and now he can't stay in the majors because he's not good enough. Wow. Just shows you that there's a whole new level up there, right? Wow. And it hurts you, doesn't it, when you find out you're not that good. Maybe you were, you know, that big fish in a little pond and you thought you were good, but then you get out there and you realize, I'm not that good. You wanted to be a singer and you find out you're not that good. Do you ever feel sad for these people? You ever watch American Idol and some of these 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 kids basically or or, or even uh, you know older adults sometimes they're they're they think they're good and they they're out there candidating and trying out American Idol and and the judges, you know, they think they're good and the rest of the world knows they're not good. And the judges tell them, you're not that good. And, and they, are, they are offended and they're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're telling the judges they don't know what they're talking about. And they go out and they get interviewed. Well, I know I'm good and I'm going to keep on. It's like, have you ever recorded yourself and listened to yourself? I mean, here, let me play this back. That's you. Do you think that is good? How can that be? But it hurts, doesn't it? It just hurts to admit that, you know, you're not that good. You tried out for the team, didn't make the cut. You applied for that school and didn't get in. And you look at yourself and you go, wow, I'm not that good. Now, what happens to us as Christians in our Christian journey with Christ is that our we have a tendency. Many of us have this tendency to we start thinking that our goodness is our goodness. Rather than being the fruit of the Spirit, which is grace and a gift, I start thinking that, wow, I'm that good. You know, I, I am just a good man. I am a good Christian. I follow the rules. I serve. I go to church. I know how to play the Christian game because I've been doing this for so long. And everybody looks at me and says, wow, isn't he a good, even a great Christian? When on the inside, I'm filled with arrogance and ego and all, and I'm not very loving. I don't really care about people. I'm not that compassionate. And so what God does is he lets us get stuck. He withdraws his goodness, his presence from us because he wants us to realize that we are not that good and we are completely dependent upon him to experience that goodness. For example, M. Scott Peck tells a story of meeting a classmate at high school when he was 15 years old. And he has a conversation with his friend and then he walks away and he reflects on that conversation that he just had. He says this, I suddenly realized that for the entire 10-minute period from when I had first seen my acquaintance until that very moment, 
I had been totally self-preoccupied. For the two or three minutes before we met, all I was thinking about was the clever things I might say that would impress him. During our five minutes together, I was listening to what he had to say only so that I might turn it into a clever reply. I watched him only so that I might see what effect my remarks were having upon him. After the two or three minutes after we separated, my sole thought content was those things that I could have said that might have impressed him even more. I had not cared a whit for my classmate. Wow. Can we honestly say we've all been there? Haven't we all done that? Where I'm just so self-preoccupied and I see you coming and I don't really... I'm not loving you. I'm not compassionate toward you. I don't really care about you. I am so caught up in me, and I want to look good. So I'm already thinking about what clever things can I say to impress you. And then as I'm listening to you, I'm not really listening to you. I'm just thinking about the next clever thing I can say. And I am so self-preoccupied because I want to look good. I want people think I want people to think I am good. And so what happens is in our Christian lives we can we can play this game of looking good and we know how to do the the right kinds of things when inside we are totally self preoccupied obsessed with looking good. And it's not just teenagers that do this. You can do this in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 70s, your 80s. We all have this tendency. You see, it's so easy to live a pretend kind of life. We pretend we're so good and we're so worried about looking good. And really, we're just thinking about ourselves. We're not, we're not. You know how Paul says Christ has set us free? We're not free. We're so enslaved to self so enslaved to our insecurities, so enslaved to our drives and whims, and oh, I'm so fearful. Just got an email just the other day from, from the school system. It was an email blast out to a lot of the community, and it's, it's a resource that they're providing, but the, the basic message was that the students in Clarkston schools are experiencing such anxiety that it's at new levels. And I kind of scratched my head and I go, what is going on? I know the world's a tough place, but the world's always been a tough place. And what's causing all of this extra anxiety that even the schools have to address it? All this anxiety. We're not free. We're so obsessed and, and, and preoccupied and worried and insecure. What, what's going on? See, aren't you tired of trying to look good? Think of this. Is your, is your self-image so fragile that it rises and falls on every compliment or criticism? So somebody comes along and they say, hey, you are good. And you, wow, you're, you're up there. And then somebody comes along and they criticize you. And maybe it's intended to be a healthy criticism. Maybe they're not really trying to hurt you at all. They're just letting you know that, hey, maybe you're not that good at whatever, and you know, you might need to pay attention to this. But that criticism so devastates you, and you just go through life rising and falling on every compliment and every criticism. Aren't you tired of that? 
Aren't you tired of being stuck like that? The good news of Jesus is stop trying. It's not about you trying to look good. Do you realize that every other religion in the world, think of this, for all the differences that the, all the religions have, the one thing they all have in common except the Christian faith is, is that it is about you being good enough. If you are good enough, if you try hard enough, and if you are good enough, then God or the higher power, whatever their particular view is, will, will appreciate you and you'll get an A. That's how religion works. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. That's exactly upside down. It's not about you being good enough to impress God so that he likes you and gives you an A. No. And I know many times Christianity is presented this way. We've twisted Christianity many times because it's just such a temptation for us. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this. You're not that good, but God is good. And so you just admit that, and you receive his goodness. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again to conquer sin and death. And you humbly receive that. And then he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And now you're a child of God, and you don't have to have any fear. You don't have to have anxiety. You're already accepted. You're already loved. You're already in. You already have the A. And now the rest of your life is walking in the Spirit, in His presence, experiencing His goodness. And as you go through your journey, you deal with the stuff that's not good. And, and when somebody criticizes you, you could say, yeah, you're probably right. I know I have a lot to work on. <laughs> and... And you have this wholeness and this genuine goodness that starts to flow through you. Isn't that good news? This, this should be good news. See, this is what true freedom is. Notice how Paul says, set us free. He says, Christ has set us free. Free from being so preoccupied. Free from trying to look good all the time. Free from all these works of the flesh. Free from fits of rage, selfish ambition, sexual addictions. See, true freedom is, is, is freedom not to do wrong, but to do right. True freedom is to stop having to try to look good. And just saying, you know what, I know I'm not that good. But that's okay, because God is good. And it's His goodness that can flow into me. And make me good. So ironically, the way to goodness is to admit you're not that good. This is so life-changing. You can apply this to every area of your life. For example, you, you pursue your career. And you're climbing the corporate ladder. And you, why? Is it because you just want to look good? Is it just because you're trying to affirm your own self-worth and that you are really a good person? Or are you doing it? Because you just you love God and, and you want to serve God. And yes, you have an enjoyment about developing your gifts and seeing what your potential is and you want to succeed. But, but the reason you want to make a lot of money and have this status and, and do all this work is, is not just for you, but, but to make the world a better place and to be, do a lot of good for other people. And so if you don't get that promotion at work, of course you're disappointed. 
because you really were hoping to get that, but you're not devastated, you see, because your identity, your self-worth, your goodness isn't based on what happens at work. See, you're free now. You're free to work. You're free to do your best, but you're not enslaved to the anxiety. You're not, you're not all insecure about what could, might happen because your identity and your worth and your goodness is, is founded on God and His goodness and what Christ has done for you. See how that sets you free. So you can be disappointed with things, but things no longer devastate you. See, this sets you free. I ask you have, you, have you hit a wall? Are you stuck? Are you scared that you might not be that good? I have good news for you. I know it starts out sounding like bad news, but it's really good news. And, and, and the news is, you're not that good. I'm not that good. But he's good. And that makes all the difference. So stop trying and just receive. And start walking in his spirit. And you'll start experiencing God and the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of Greg. It's not the fruit of Tom or Sue. It's, it's the fruit of... It's the fruit of the Spirit. You see how this can just set you absolutely free. I, I want to wrap this up by giving you some signs. Here's how you know you're making progress on your journey with Christ. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says that here's how you know you're about to break through that wall, about to get unstuck, because we all hit this because we all have things that are not good in the corners of our hearts that we need to deal with. And here are just four ways that you know you're making progress. One, a greater level of brokenness. A greater level of brokenness. You cry out like, like David did in Psalm 139. Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there's any, any unworthy thing in me, any wayward thing in me. So you become more aware of how you are not that good. And you allow the Holy Spirit to shine His light into those deep, dark corners of, of your soul. And you start to see some ugliness and some selfishness there that maybe you hadn't seen before. And you realize you're not that good. And, and so you have this attitude of, of brokenness where I realize I am broken and that I need God's healing touch. I realize I'm saved by grace, not by trying to get an A on the scorecard, which leads to number two, a greater humility, a greater humility. Probably the biggest danger for those of us who have been believers for long periods of time is pride. You know why? Scriptures call it self-righteousness. And remember, Jesus went after the Pharisees all the time for this. But what happens after many years of being a Christian is we start thinking that our goodness is our goodness. And we forget that it's God's goodness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we fall into this attitude. Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good Christian. I don't do those things. You know, those people, those bad people, they do those things over there. And if I'm not careful, I find myself becoming very judgmental, very critical. Very self-righteous because, you know, they do those things. I don't do those things. And see, what happens is, is that God wants me to realize that, okay, I might not be doing exactly those things, but I still have a lot of ugliness in my own soul to deal with. 
and, and a lot of self-righteousness and smugness. So instead of holding uh, holding my arms like this, you know, where I'm just I'm I'm talking about those people, and can you believe they do those bad things? And because and I don't because I'm such a good person. Instead, out of my brokenness and out of my humility, instead of being critical and judgmental, I open up my arms and extend my hands in love and grace to them, realizing that we're on this journey together and we're all on different paths and different parts of the journey and that we need to be helping each other. And none of us is that good. And we're all in desperate need of his goodness, a greater humility. You become less offendable. How easily can you be offended? We live in a society where just everybody's offended, right? In fact, almost that's a way to win any debate anymore. Just get offended. It, it, it's really quite a manipulation when you think about it. So you, you should be able to get to the place. And again, I, I, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm working on this myself. Where, where it's hard for anybody to really offend you. Because you're so safe and you're so secure in Christ. You know that you are a child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. You know you're not that good. So when somebody else comes along and says, hey, you're not that good, you say, I know I'm not that good. I'm saved by grace. And any goodness I have is his goodness flowing into me. You don't have to control and correct others all the time. You don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to have the last word all the time. A greater humility. Thirdly, a deeper ability to be content. I bet many of you have bought into this myth, the American myth, that happiness is one more achievement away. Or happiness is one more purchase away. If I can just achieve this, if I can just get here, achieve this, then I will be happy. If I can just purchase this, if I could buy this, oh man, if I could achieve this, purchase this, wow, life would be great. I would be happy. And it's a myth. I mean, just look at Hollywood. Just look at all the multi-billionaires. Haven't you seen it played out so many times? People have more money than they even know what to do with, and they can be miserable. Now, I'm not against, you know, you making a lot of money. Praise the Lord if you do. But what I'm saying is that is not your ticket to happiness. You have a deeper ability to be content. Of course you want to work hard. You want to be successful. But it's not about proving your goodness anymore. It's not about your ego anymore. And then number four, a greater desire to serve others. A greater desire. You know you're making progress on, on this spiritual journey when you really start caring about people. Wow, we Christians, even we Christians who've been Christians for a long, long time, we it's so tempting to get smug and self-righteous and think that our goodness is our goodness. And when in fact we're just all preoccupied and life's pretty much about me and I don't really care about helping other people. Acts 10.38, Jesus went about doing good. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then Galatians 6.9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, 
when you think about this, this is so beautiful. This is so beautiful, and, and it's so ironic. When we humbly admit, finally, that we're not that good, and that we're completely dependent upon God and His goodness to be poured into us, that's when we really get good. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, in this journey we call life, we all get stuck. Sometimes we get disconnected. We're not growing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that even in our stuckness, you are with us. Help us to see that we don't have to stay stuck. Help us to see that, that you take us to these places and you even remove your presence from us, remove your goodness from us so that, so that we don't feel it at least, even though you're still really there. But you want us to realize that it's not our goodness. It's yours. And that there's some weeds and dead branches that need to be trimmed and pruned so that the fruit of your spirit can grow unencumbered. Lord, help us to face our pride. Help us to admit our emptiness, our disconnectedness. We need your goodness for truly, Lord, only you are good. We ask this humbly in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen.